everybody, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And in this show, there's no one to trust, but everyone to hate. Yay! Uh, yeah. That sounds like it's going to be a good podcast. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's a tagline to a great work of art. Well, actually, it's the tagline to The Hateful Eight, but also the tagline for pretty much every one of our episodes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so if you've never true. heard this show before, basically what we do is we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There'll also be some banter, some terrible impressions, some even more terrible songs, uh, and uh, a biffy quiz as well. Uh, but before we get involved in any of that, let's have some news. Pulled it back. I pretty thought you lost it. Well good. done. Yeah, I, I completely forgot what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Just my life flashed before my eyes and all it was was terrible xylophones. <laughs> anyway, so, so what we do in this uh, this segment is we all go around in a circle and we talk about something noteworthy that's happened recently in a section we call the news. So without further hesitation, Austin, um, have you got... <laughs> Come on, man. Get the digestive I'm normally last. I, I know, but I wanted to... You know, but, you, but your news is the, is the best slash only news we have, so All right, okay, well, don't we um, lead with you? Well, yeah, I went to a, pre, a preview, an early showing of um, Isle of Dogs, for the mm-hmm. Wes Anderson movie, and um, it was uh, enjoyable. It was really good. It, was, uh, it wasn't as... Um, I'd read a few reviews that said it was, like, culturally insensitive. I didn't see that at all, so... Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. The um, stop motion was great. It was totally different to Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, but still, still really good. Still very Wes Anderson, but it was, uh, it was great. You're, you're quite a big fan of Wes Anderson, aren't you? Yeah, uh, did, I am, did, yeah. did we figure out last week that Ozzy's based his entire wardrobe, <laughs> his like, entire wardrobe on, on Wes Anderson? Wes Anderson. Yeah. Which, uh, which is why I'm so pleased that he's wearing a dog hood with ears. Right <laughs> yeah. So I, I haven't been paying attention to the reviews or anything, but why were people saying that it was culturally insensitive? Oh, um, just because it's um, set in J- set in Japan, isn't it? Um, but the bulk of the characters, you know, the, the dogs were all played by um, by the usual, uh, you know, the usual suspects: Bill Murray, uh, Jeff Goldblum, um, Owen oh, Wilson, Edward Norton, Harvey uh, Keitel, Edward Norton. <laughs> <laughs> I think just Edward some there, Anderson yeah. people. <laughs> no, Ed Norton's in there. He was uh, he was as good in this as he was in um, in the Hulk. <laughs> oh dear! No, he was uh, so it was really, it was really well done. Um, there, were, there was there's a lot of uh, you know Japanese references, which I can see that I, I can understand why somebody might might go along that way. It's I didn't think it seemed insensitive though. It's just a white director with you know with Japanese uh, other Japanese writers were helping him out with it. So it's not totally as though he's just took it upon himself to to mm. go down these storylines. It seemed a uh, I thought it seemed really good. It was really well done. It was fast paced. It was, I thought it was pretty respectful to be honest with you, but it's not about, it could have been set anywhere really. It just worked from a, you know, an artistic point of view that it was in Japan. So I, I always think Wes Anderson's a bit Marmite. Like you either love him or hate him. Like I, 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 I really like him. So not all of his films are brilliant, but I, I think he's, yeah, I'm, I'll definitely go and see Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thank you very much for that, Austin. Um, Joel, what is your piece of news for the week? So the the Deadpool 2 trailer dropped. Seems to be quite a lot of trailers, but particularly Deadpool 2 trailers I've really enjoyed, and Deadpool overall. The trailers are just, there's something different, rather than just showing you bits from the film. It's just like Deadpool, you know, kind of messing about, like the one where he, 
where he was like painting and yeah, I love that. <laughs> it, it's just something new for a different, you know, from from the original trailers. But this one just seemed back on track with all the kind of normal trailers that we're used to, and it showed maybe a bit more of the film than than we've actually seen before. Too uh, much? No, not too much. I don't think it give much away. There was still kind of like the whole um, that kind of Deadpool attitude with it and stuff, and it it yeah, it just looks like more of the same really from what from what I've seen. Was it a bit of a disappointment that it was like every other trailer, uh, you know, Hollywood blockbuster films, and it maybe lost a bit of that originality that was in the first two trailers? Um, well, there were bits of it, like at the end, um, that there's a little bit which is kind of just added onto the trailer, a kind of typical Deadpool style, but it's it's worth watching, I would say. It doesn't give anything away. It, it also has like a joke in the middle where it says, from the producers of... Um 27 Dresses and Devil, Devil yeah. West Prada, which I quite liked. But yeah, the, the, there's some really funny stuff in there. And um, yeah, like I say, I just enjoyed the trailer. <laughs> and uh, Austin has got, his, has got his bear costume back on. <laughs> it's, it's a dog costume. It's a dog. It's a dog. Come on. It's the Isle of Dogs, not the Isle of Bears. Okay, so um, thank you very much for that, Joel. Um, yeah, I think everyone's really, really looking forward to, to seeing it. I just hope that it stays true to the first film. And, you know, it doesn't try and go too big. So, because there was kind of a, like a unique charm to it. That it, was, it kind of felt like it was on a smaller budget than most of the action hero films or superhero films that we that we see on, on a regular basis. Well, I think, didn't Ryan Reynolds come out and say that he wanted to, to carry on, you know, in the same vein as, as the original <laughs> anyway? <laughs> can't, get over, can't get over this big uh, dog costume, can you? <laughs> um, okay, right, so uh, thank you very much for that, Joel. Uh, my piece of news for the week was I was in London this weekend, just gone, um, seeing as many... Um, Cheers for that, Gav. <laughs> seeing as, as many West End shows as I could. And uh, while I was there, um, I definitely, uh, well, I got uh, either one of, of two things happened. So you've got to tell me, right, uh, which one you reckon it is. So I was in a, in a, in a restaurant um, and there was a man sat opposite me on his own. Um, he was very, very tall. I'd say at least six foot four, six foot five, very well dressed. He spoke with an American accent and he looked the absolute spit of Tim Robbins, right? Now, there's me thinking, that's got to be Tim Robbins. So I approached this guy. I waited until he'd finished his meal. I waited until he paid his bill and he was just, about to leave. Were you just staring at him from across the restaurant? No, no, I was, I was very, very respectful. I got the opinion of two other people who were sat with me, <laughs> whether it was Tim Robbins or not, by using Google Images. But that's, that's irrelevant. <laughs> uh, and then I approached this covered man. covered all the exits. <laughs> I approached him silently. <laughs> I, I, I approached him and uh, I said, excuse me, uh, might sound like a silly question, but are you Tim Robbins? And he turned to me and in a very un-American accent said, no. <laughs> so I was saying, can you do his accent? Um, well, he sounded before when he was paying his bill, he was like, oh, thank you very much. Like that. And then when I came to say, uh, are you Tim Robbins? He was like, no. <laughs> Wait, what? Say it again. So no. he's gone kind of Welsh. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I was, I was so taken aback. I was like, uh, well, the first thing I asked was like, are you sure? Like, like, you know, like, you, like you wouldn't know. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you're right. I, I am I Tim am. Robbins. I am Tim Robbins. <laughs> I Man, oh, so many times I wake up and forget who I am. Um, so, so one of two things either happens, right? So a guy I, who uh, basically, I just bothered a guy who looked like Tim Robbins and he responded in a really cold way, uh, or the real Tim Robbins basically completely binned me off. 
now, I would, but, I would understand if it was someone who just looked like Tim Robbins. I can understand how he would get very angry with people constantly asking him. But, maybe you should have said he should have gone and played a Tim Robbins impersonator then, or something like that. Well, you know, like how many people of that height, that that, that well dressed, that sound an American on initial hearing. Oh, not Tim Robbins. <laughs> just, just Tim Robbins, I think. Yeah, that's it. It's now, it right down to just being Tim Robbins. Um, but you know, so if you looked exactly like Tim Robbins and somebody approached you, like I, I imagine that I'm not the first person that approached this guy and said, "Are you Tim Robbins?" You should have just sat, sat there and said, yeah. "Tim." Tim. <laughs> Tim. Shout Tim. Yeah. I think his Hollywood name's Tim Rowe. So I was going to. Tim Rowe. Yeah. I might, I might get that started. Uh, but yeah, he completely binned me off anyway. Um, so are you, are you, even if it's not him, do, do you still feel a bit angry towards Tim Robbins now? I do. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I do. Even if it's not Tim I can, Robbins. I can see that. So, so one, of my, one of my friends in work says, well, you know what? Maybe it was Tim Robbins. And he was just annoyed that he had to ask if he was Tim Robbins. And he was like, you know what? Yeah, if you don't confident. know me. Yeah, but, but then if it wasn't Tim Robbins, it looked like even more of a dick. She just said, you're Tim Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you Tim Robbins. I'm Tim not. Robbins. No, you are. I'm not, maybe, <laughs> Tim Robbins. You are Tim Robbins. <laughs> I mean, all the signals are pointing to, you know, say maybe I am Tim Robbins, yeah? So, uh, so if t- Tim, if you're listening, Tim Rowe. What would you, <laughs> okay, okay, can we just do the conversation? So you would have gone like, are you Tim Robbins? And would have said yes. Yeah. Okay, you've got to do the accent. Okay, okay. Are you Tim Robbins? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tim Robbins, but not Leonardo DiCaprio. Where would you have gone from there? I would have gone, listen, Tim Rowe, I fucking loved Arlington Road. No, Endorse my thanks. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Can I take a photo with you? And also a, a three minute video of you saying how good films on trial is. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, Tim, if you're listening, it's not too late. <laughs> Win Gav back. Yeah. Sometimes I struggle to fill three minutes. To be honest with you, <laughs> I'm surprised he binned you off. To be fair, because you do look so presentable and like a, a really well mannered. <laughs> yeah. He probably saw this really long limbed, angry <laughs> scouse lad. Are you Tim Robbins? Are you Tim Robbins? <laughs> <laughs> Shit! I better get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> okay, right. So, uh, thank you very much for that. Um, so, uh, uh, so we've been trying something on the show recently um, called uh, what's it called now, Alex? Well, we've been trying really hard. It was it was called film film feels, but it doesn't make any sense. I was thinking like all this week. I was like, got me in what, the feels. What film should you watch when you're feeling like confused or feeling? <laughs> when you're feeling confused. <laughs> Which is exactly. I couldn't fucking come up with anything, so I've changed it a bit. It's what's it uh, what, the perfect you fi- and you're like, perfect film for. Okay, I'm going. No, no, go on. And now introduce it. Okay. Now it's time for the perfect film four. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Okay. Yeah, that's better. I like that. So, because uh, last week uh, we were doing the perfect film for a Sunday afternoon, which was interesting to hear about. So now my question is, what would you say the perfect film? Say if you could pick any film, you're going out with someone for the first time and you're going to go to the cinema, you can pick absolutely any film you want to show them. What film would you show them? It's a good cinema. You can just pick your film. You can pick your film it. and they'll show whatever you want. Yeah. I think I've been on several cinema dates and one that I can remember quite vividly was when Troy was on at the cinema. Oh yeah. Um, lots of men in... <laughs> very good looking <laughs> men as well. Very good looking muscular <laughs> men making you feel super adequate when you're, when you're on your first date. So sure. probably not the best idea, but... So not Troy. Yeah, yeah. not Troy. Sword, I, sword and Sandals epics are out. I went and saw The Nutty Professor 2. <laughs> to the complete opposite, to be honest. Next uh, to Eddie Murphy as The Nutty Professor, I looked like a fucking Greek Adonis. I, uh, I took Roe to see Snow White and the Huntsman, and um, it was 
like I was sat in the having a drink beforehand and I was like well, so what sort of films are you into she's like oh, I don't know just nothing fantasy and nothing with violence in it <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah. so I, uh, yeah I did take uh, I did go on a date and we went to see Starsky and Hutch Oh yeah, no, that's an alright. Yeah, for sure. I was the second time I had to see it, so I already saw it with, uh, with with some of you guys. I think <laughs> you knew it was a I safe option. <laughs> no, no, she wanted to see it, so it's just like right, I have to sit through this again. I, I think call. I think based on our experiences, you shouldn't go, <laughs> go on the first date. Yeah, film. No, not on the first date anyway. I think the first film that showed Chavon was was the best film ever, The Thing. And did you actually? Yes. <laughs> And I, I Is it spent a test. Yeah, I spent the entire time. <laughs> I spent the entire time watching her, watching the thing, to see if yeah. her reactions were genuine. And it was a test, and she passed, luckily. But she failed the next one, which was Predator, which she said was shit. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. you must really like. It. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, uh, so, so yeah, yeah, okay. So well. we haven't come up with anything, but it was a good conversation. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, keep keep uh, flogging this dead horse. I will. I will. And, uh, and before we move on, can you smell that, guys? Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Austin, can you tell us what the rock is cooking this week? Can yeah. So Dwayne Johnson has got a uh, like a creative, uh, like a like an advertising company, like a studio, Seven Books Creative, and its first ad campaign came out um, this this week, and it's got Dwayne the Rock Johnson and it's sweating, working out. It's for uh, it's an advert for Under Armour. So yeah, there we go. I actually, I actually watched that own. and he like i saw the advert and his eyes are so kind of uh scary it, it's actually making me want to go out and buy under armor now <laughs> yeah, it looks it looks incredible yeah i didn't know what under armor was before but now i need it in my life <laughs> so wait so he's got an advertising agency well, he's got and he's a, selling stuff yeah he's himself. Got a, it's called seven books creative and it's uh yeah it's like a, a marketing agency but yeah he's um just to make a little bit more up. money yeah well, why not why not <laughs> The most bankable man yeah. in Hollywood gets even more bankable. Just shitting money, yeah. isn't he? He's only Just getting bigger, money. and so is his bank account. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're doing a bit of advertising for the rocket. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. I'm hoping a little bit will rub off on us. <laughs> oh, these guys really help me out here. You want the rock to rub off on us? Okay, so uh, thank you very much for the news, guys. I can't remember the theme that I played before, so I won't play it again. Um, but okay, so we're going to move on to the bulk of the show now. Um, so this is Films on Trial. As I said before, what we basically do is we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. The films are pulled out of the hat at random. And this week, it is The Hateful Eight, the eighth film, apparently, by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, also, the roles are pulled out of random. So, in the role of prosecution this week is going to be Joel. And he basically is going to try his best to condemn the film and get it placed on the shit list. In the role of defense is our good friend, Captain Dave, who's going to be trying his very best to get, to get the film placed on the hit list. And then there's myself as a character witness who will basically lend some genuine opinion to throw a bit of weight behind either side of the argument. And then to cap it all off, we've got the good old judge played by Alex and his role in this is to be very very unbiased right mm. <laughs> even though he hates absolutely hates quentin tarantino mm. he needs to listen to the arguments that are put to him yep and decide which list the film should be placed on based nothing on well, based on the arguments that are put to him and not his own opinion okay alex do you think you can do that 
Yes. <laughs> Fuck. <sake. laughs> oh. oh, Jesus. That's, that's the alarm I'm going to play every time you're unbiased. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gavin. <laughs> right, okay. So, uh, so yeah, so before we uh, move on, why don't we give the uh, listeners a bit of a brief synopsis, a bit of an overview of what the film's about. Um, so, uh, I think this week it's the turn of Dave. You're up, oh, Dave. Oh, oh, what am I doing? You're uh, doing it. So you're going to read the synopsis out to our listeners in the style of anybody? Any? I, I, There's not many choices. I just got to point out, I'm not good at impressions. Here. Uh, no, for uh, what, what, Okay, what about one of your favourite actors, Dave? What about Walton Goggins? Walton Goggins. Yeah. <laughs> Oh Jesus! Uh, did, southern, 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 southern accent, yeah, southern goofy southern. Kind of ah, oh, shucks. Yeah. <laughs> In the dead of a Wyoming winter. A bounty hunter and his prisoner find a shelter in a cabin currently inhabited by a collection of nefarious characters. Wow. Oh, lovely. I love the way you hit nefarious. That was very, very good. <laughs> My words, man. You've put me to shame. Like I think it's better when, I'm, when it's sprung upon me and I have no warning. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 35 weeks of absolute diarrhea in comparison to your performance just there, mate. Uh, <laughs> anyway, which, which is actually the tagline for my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, um, little uh, bowel disease joke there, by the way, guys. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Alex, to lighten the mood. <laughs> Alex, would you like to kick things off, please? Would you call him Alice, though. Uh, who the fuck is Alice? No, <laughs> Bruce, would you like to kick things off? I would love to kick things off. Okay, uh, so fair fight, please. Interested to see your arguments on this, Joel. What? Uh, who would like to go first? Ladies first. Okay. Oh, <laughs> right, Joel convince me that the hateful eight should go on the shit list okay so this was described by quentin tarantino himself as an agatha christie western but really it's without any of the mystery any of kind of the smart reveals any of the tension building anything which you would associate with agatha christie it's literally just a a western so he shot this film in 70 millimeter ultra panavision so uh, you would use that, I mean, I'm not a filmmaker, so I can't say for sure, but for me, you would kind of associate that with something with a lot of kind of epic vistas, you know, kind of really great big backdrops, really immersive cinematography. And you see that at the start when they're in like Wyoming, all the environments are really beautiful and, uh, you know, all the snow and kind of mountainous landscapes and that type of thing. But it's uh, it's almost completely redundant because it takes place almost in one set, which is the haberdashery. And it's a few hours just in there completely sat around tables. So that just seems, as I say, completely redundant. The aspect ratio that it was uh, filmed in, again, seems completely pointless. It restricted the amount of cinemas that could actually show the film, um, which kind of leads me down the road to question why you know, Tarantino even decided with that. And it comes back to everything that Tarantino does, and that is just he doesn't give a shit about anybody but himself. It's just all self-indulgent. Uh, <laughs> uh, I saw his face there. <laughs> it's all just self-indulgent. <laughs> Are you going to get out of my mind? <laughs> uh, it's all just self-indulgent cinematography. And the main action... Actually, I had to Google this, is preceded by an overture, and this hasn't been used since 1966. And it almost, to me, is like Quentin Tarantino, whenever he makes a film, he just goes on Google and types in shit that hasn't been done before for like 50 years, and he, he just goes with that, because that, 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 it just adds nothing to the film. 
Um, so onto the film itself. I mean, all, all the characters, they obviously come together in the one place, the haberdashery, and you pretty much know that everything isn't as it seems. You know, there's going to be lies, double and triple crosses, and it will all inevitably lead to this kind of big bloodbath at the end. And the plot is never really... Um, you know, a, a, an issue. There's never like any type of mystery or anything like that because he, he uses the same tricks, the same uh, loopholes, plot holes, and all that type of thing that he's done in pretty much every other film. Um, the issue is that it's so overscaled and underfelt that it takes so long to get to the point of bloodshed at the end that by the time it does, it's almost a relief to see them blowing each other to pieces, and it kind of becomes laughable as well. Um, because of that fact, which again just kind of takes away from the entire film, but like you're meant to care about the characters and the ending it is obviously meant to shock you, which is what Tarantino is all about, kind of getting that awe factor in, uh, that kind of re- reveal, like the twist at the end. And, you know, as I say, by the time it comes, you just uh, kind of re- relieve that it is actually there. And that is mainly because it clocks in a whopping 168 minutes. So in some f- cinemas, they put a 12 minute you know, kind of break in between the acts, which is just absolutely crazy. I mean, it's so, like I say, it comes back to everything being Tarantino being so overindulgent. The fact that he expects you to sit there, then have a 12 minute break, then watch the rest of the film when there's over an hour left is just absolutely (laughs) ludicrous to me. You could have easily lost an hour and you wouldn't have been any of the wiser. They could have stripped away so much dialogue from there and it wouldn't have lost anything absolutely, you know, at all. It's just far too long, and like I say, it's just very arrogant that he expects you to, to watch that entire film fill, filled with non-stop dialogue. So the third act, the flashback reversal that served him so well in Pulp Fiction, forcing kind of even a most kind of fas- casual sorry, film-goer to ponder narrative structure. It reads like feeble inner dialogue in this film. Without the benefit of surprise, as I say, it's all been done before. It's not a new trick anymore to us. Bottomless splatter and the director's post-intermission narration don't count. It's the same trick. It's shined up and presented in more or less the same way, and you're expected to be surprised. And as I say, when you've seen it all before, you know what's coming. And because the film is so long, you've had so much time to to process everything. And this is one film for me where I can honestly say I, you know, as the film went on, I I kind of guessed what was going to happen by the end and. In Tarantino films, that's very rarely the case, actually. But you know, as he, as he's as he's progressed uh, through the years, it seems to be becoming more and more common that you're able to to predict what happens in the actual films. So, one of the problems with a movie this long taking that approach is once the overall premise of the film is set up, like I say, you feel like you know what's going to happen, and the movie has a shocking lack of dramatic tension because of that. Because it's so long, the tension just kind of ebbs away from the start. You realise some of the characters aren't honourable in their intentions. I mean, does Walter Goggins' character really sell sell himself as a sheriff? You know, to quote, uh, you know, Leo, I would say, absolutely fucking not. The film is called The Hateful Eight, and you know, you know, the characters aren't good. You know, the, the, the film title actually gives you, uh, you know, some of the plot. You know that they're all hateful characters, and you know that shit's going to go down. Uh, so by way of compromise, his dialogue is spiked with even more easygoing epithets than usual and seems to be included really just to shock you into, into attention the way that Tarantino does, you know, all the acts are too long, they're overly convoluted and it's actually an interesting plot promise to be honest, but it's just overworked to death. There's pointless banter and 
as with pretty much every Tarantino film these days, there's a predictable amount of swearing and cursing, and the N-word, as always, in a Tarantino film is absolutely everywhere. And it kind of, in this case, you know, it kind of does seem like the the post-Civil War setting is just an excuse to be able to use it more and more. You know, in some of the... uh, in some of the dialogue parts, it's pretty much every other word where it's dropped in. Um, and to me, you know, as I say, it's just kind of in there for Tarantino to say, hey, look, guys, you know, I'm a bit of a bad boy here. I'm just going to put this in all the time. That's how it seems. Um, it reached a high point in Django, uh, the the use of that word, and he's just kind of carried it on here. Um, so, yeah, that's my argument. Okay. Strong stuff, Joel. Off, off the block. Okay, um, <laughs> Dave, is there something that you would like to come back at there? Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to mention. Actually, um, I want to first say about the self-indulgent cinematography that was employed. Um, Tarantino didn't do his own cinematography on this one. It was done by a gentleman named Robert Richardson, who received an Oscar nomination for this. So. Um, so i'm being waved out to move closer to my mic okay uh yeah it was done actually by a gentleman named robert richardson who received an oscar nomination for his work on this film um this self-indulgence of tarantino i don't i think every director has to be self-indulgent otherwise it's just not going to work there has to be a level of self-indulgence they have to have their own vision being realized before their eyes everyone's got to follow their lead they're in charge they call the shots what Joel was saying about the tension building not being there, I beg to differ. There are some really tense moments after it's been established that the coffee has been poisoned. That scene, after you see one character drinking the coffee, then another one, and they're just like, God, what's going to happen here? And you're just waiting. That tension is building and building and building until the effects of the poison kick in with horrific results. And I don't think the violence is used just to shock you to attention. It's done as Tarantino uses his violence. You know, it, he does it with an almost pastiche. It's done with like a, with like a watercolor almost. It's brilliantly done. Visually, it's very arresting. Um, it is long. I can make no excuse about that. It is a long film, but long doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I think long can be, uh, it, it can, it gives you the time frame in which to tell your story in the, the desired way you wish to do so. And I think that's what Tarantino does here. He makes no excuses for that. He offered people the intermission when that was done, because let's face it, it's a long film to ask people to sit through. And it also harks back to one of his, one of the things Tarantino is all about, which is kind of, bringing back an old style of cinema. That's why he was so interested in the Grindhouse Project with Robert Rodriguez, where they thought, you know, let's do a double feature film, trailers in between, maybe some short films, make a full project out of it. Having the intermission, this was not out of place a few years ago in cinema. You know, we're going back a couple of decades, admittedly, but it's just kind of a callback, a nice little nostalgic callback to an old style of cinema, which Tarantino is very much a fan of. Uh, you see, the pointless banter was used there by Joel. And it, being Tarantino, it is very wordy. The dialogue is long, but it's it's good. The thing is, you don't mind a long film. You don't mind long dialogue when it's so well written, when everything does keep you hooked. When you are, you cannot help but listen to these characters. You don't tune out. Even after one viewing of it, you could probably quote what these characters are saying at you. There'll be some speeches that resonate with you because the dialogue is well written. Um, Joel says it, it uses the post-Civil War excuse for him to use the N-word so frequently. I, 
I think it's, it explains why it's used so frequently. I wouldn't say it's an excuse, though. I think it's a really interesting setting to have it just a few years after the American Civil War, maybe about 10 years, I think it is, or something like that. And it just it's the unresolved issues of the American Civil War, I think is what I'd like to call it. You know, there was still a lot of tensions around there. And I think this film really taps into that in a degree, more so than I think we gave Tarantino credit for. I think he, uh, he surprised everyone with how well he did tap into those sort of feelings and really make people around him you know give this uh, give some weight to his characters these characters i'm going to talk about more in my second argument but i've got to say they are you are not meant to care about them in the sense joel implied he's right when he says the title is the hateful eight these are not good people not one of those eight people are decent they are all heavily flawed they are all nasty bastards to be honest with you john ruth which some people have said is one of the more honorable characters tarantino said no he's not he's a brutal bastard of a man you know he's, he's not pleasant at all the most the most likable person in that cabin is ob mm. who isn't classed as one as the hateful eight he's like the ninth occupant of the cabin bless him who has a pretty particularly rough it doesn't ride. end well <laughs> it doesn't end well for, for poor ob but that's why he's not credited on the poster but one because the actor james parks didn't have the same weight as the other members of the cast but also because ob is not a bad guy he's quite likable he's quite he's, you know he's, he's, he gets the, the the rough edge of things a few times he seems nice but that's why the hateful eight these characters which you're not meant to care about you're meant to be interested in them you might want to be you know, fascinated by their story which you are but you're not necessarily rooting for any one of them in particular which is good you have no allegiance as this film unfolds because don't get too attached to anyone it's a tarantino movie but the film does unfold and you are brought into this journey and and although you're interested in the characters, you don't necessarily have to care about them or necessarily want all of them to make it out of that cabin alive. And uh, I think I have covered everything I would like to. Yes. All right. Thank you very much, Dave. That's a very good uh, defense. Right. Um, I'm going to bring in Gav <laughs> and Ozzy into this. So Joel said there wasn't any real mystery to it, said there was good starting shots, but it's redundant to use it for a bottle film. Tarantino's completely overindulgent, bit of a wanker it sounded like. <laughs> Joel, Joel was saying there, uh, adding nothing, very gimmicky, plot doesn't go anywhere, takes ages to get there, it's sensationalist, uh, using the Civil War just to use an N-word. And uh, Dave said some stuff as well. <laughs> Fine. Uh, Dave said Dave said it was great cinematography, and the guy got an Oscar nod. Um, he said that self indulgence is part of you know sometimes that's what an auteur needs. You know he's every uh, that that's sort of what directors do. Uh, that it's not true when Joel was saying about the plot doesn't really go in anywhere. Like for, he used the point, example of a coffee being poisoned was an extremely tense scene. Uh, it's an old style of cinema that Tarantino's harking back to, and the dialogue you don't tune out of. It's good dialogue, there's lots of it, but that's a good thing. And um, yeah, and the, and the fact is that the, the characters are flawed, that's the point there, the hateful eight. Who would like to, Ozzy, would you like to jump in on any of those points, give me some clarity? Yeah, well, for the most part, I, uh, I agree with Dave. As, um, I mean, it is, it is a long film, and but the intermission is a, is a nice break, and it almost is a, like a film of two... Not quite hard, but it's it really is two different sets. You know, it's uh, the intermission comes about the right time, and then suddenly the action kicks off. You know, you're you're in the room, and it's I think it worked really well. And um, like Dave said, it's um, it is harking back to old style cinema, like, you know, old style uh, western. It, it really was reminiscent of that. Um, I watched it in the, in the theater, and the intermission came at the right time. You know, I can't sit through uh, that many long films. Just you know, I kept bored to be honest with you, but this I thought was really exciting, um, in spite of the fact that you're in a single room. 
You right, can't sit cool. through many films full stop, though. Isn't that true, Ozzy? That is true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, Cav, what would you say? Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a bit on the fence with this one, to be honest. Um, so I haven't seen Hateful Eight really recently, but, you know, within within a couple of years I have. Uh, and I, when, I, when I originally watched it, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, and then when I thought about it later on, I was like, oh, maybe I didn't really enjoy it. I just enjoyed it. And now I'm thinking about it again. I'm like, I don't actually know how I felt, to be honest. I'll agree with, with, with some of the things that Dave said and some of the things that Joel said as well. Um, for me, um, yeah, it is, it is quite bleak. I know that Joel said that the characters and, you know, it's supposed to be quite, um, you know, nasty. There's no real humility or, or, or um, if, but the thing is, is that if you come, if you know what it's about, you know, it's going to be really violent and depraved and bleak. Then it'll be, you know, it, it's, if you know what you what you what you're going to expect when you go into it, it's fine. But if you don't know, if you think it's going to be like another Tarantino film, like Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs, and think there's going to be some sort of like uh, humility or something humane uh, to break the film up, or you know some like touching moments or some funny moments, then you're not going to get that. It is kind of kind of bleak throughout, and uh, which can be quite difficult to watch. Also, the dialogue as well. I didn't think it was particularly memorable. Um, I tried to kind of just think off the top of my head some of the really memorable scenes from it you know like you can you can mention any number of memorable quotes from you know um reservoir dogs pulp fiction jackie brown but for this i couldn't think of any um and you know how many lines can people recite from you know pulp fiction quite a lot within this i reckon if we went around the room now maybe not so much but you know is, is it more about the film itself i mean dave said about the cinematography i thought it was absolutely brilliant completely beautifully shot um, and I thought I quite liked it. That it was all in one place. It was quite claustrophobic, and also um, it, it was an absolutely fantastic score as well. Really, really well done. Um, but it feels to me like some of the scenes are kind of retellings of more memorable scenes from other films, um, particularly Inglorious Bastards. You know, the barroom scene. I think that's kind of replicated to a lesser degree in this, and um, the violence as well for me. Uh, you know, Tarantino is synonymous with violence, but for this it did feel like quite over the top in some, in some situations. So when I think about Tarantino films, like Reservoir Dogs, you know, with the ear getting cut off, um, Django Unchained with um, the slave being whipped, most of that is kind of left to the imagination. You don't actually see it. Whereas within this, there's no like kind of suggested violence. It's all very in your face. And I complete, completely agree with Joel as well. I think that the N word was completely overused and unnecessary. Um, but apart on the whole, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, right. Good stuff. I've get, getting some clarity here. Dave, uh, I'd like you, would you like to do your second point, please? <clears throat> yep, certainly can. One thing I want to point out that Gav's touched upon there, uh, the score is truly fantastic. Mm. Score has been done by Ennio Morricone, who won his first Oscar for this film. Huh? Yep, so it's a lot of original music from there. Bits that he used um, in The Thing, well, actually, no, wanted to use in The Thing. And then never actually got the opportunity. Gav, you want to add to this? I was going to say, essentially means that the thing has won an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Leave the thing out of it. Yeah. But I want to say, it's um, Tarantino's major influence when he made this film was the thing. That was the film he made uh, the cast watch before they, they came on to set. He said he wants everyone to see this. This was his primary influence about this. And it's, sorry, there's biscuits being passed. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's always when I'm trying to do my argument, isn't it? <laughs> I'm trying to keep this in mind. Um, yeah, his primary influence on this, on this film was The Thing. And it's a film that he's loved himself since he was a kid. You know, he really enjoyed The Thing. And that's why he wanted Ennio Morricone on board for the film. Although they had worked together before, that's why he wanted him back. 
And that's part of the reason why he brought Kurt Russell on board. I think one, who doesn't want to work with Kurt Russell? And two, is he was the star of the thing. And you, you can feel the elements of the thing that he's kept on board, the tension, not just Kurt Russell in a snowbound wilderness, but it's the tension that goes on in board, claustrophobic setting, no way of escaping due to the elements and growing paranoia and growing tension throughout the entire film. I, I beg to differ that there's no tension. I think it's growing constantly throughout the film, but, with Kurt Russell in mind, I want to talk about the characters. <laughs> I think it is time we talked about one of the best ensembles, I think, of the last 10 years, to be honest with you. I think you got you got some Tarantino heavyweights. you got Samuel Jackson coming on board once again for, I think, maybe his sixth outing with Tarantino, something like that. They clearly enjoy working together a lot. And, Tarant- and Tarantino, Jackson brings a real presence to this, like not many actors can. Samuel Jackson's one of the few that just exudes this dignified presence on screen. And if anyone can be called the protagonist of this ensemble, I suppose it would be him. He's, his name gets first billing in the credits. He's the first character you see. He's the last character you see. I suppose he is sort of the prat- uh, protagonist, but with an ensemble this strong, it's hard to kind of pick one lead out of them all. You've also got Kurt Russell, uh, first time working in Tarantino after Death Proof, I think. Uh, this is the second, yeah, second one, isn't it? They've done together. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, but we're just trying to forget about. We're just trying to forget about Death Proof. Yeah, <laughs> second time they've worked together in any case, and Kurt Russell is a force of nature in this film. He is not. People say because of uh, John Ruth's outlook on hanging, he's like, oh, I don't kill my bounties, I bring them in the hang. People say, oh, he's got quite an honourable sense of justice. And, and Tarantino himself said, no. If anything, there's kind of a sadistic element to the man that he likes to watch his bounties hang rather than kill him himself. And he's a particularly violent piece of work as well. As a lot of people have pointed out, there's a lot of violence between him and his prisoner, played by... Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, who yep. plays Daisy Domague in this, who got an Oscar nomination for her work on this film, and she is fantastic in this. She steals the show, I've got to admit, and when you think some of the actors she's up against, that really takes some doing. She is fantastic as this this prisoner who you think would be kind of beaten, or she is beaten physically, but it's kind of like you think she'd be mentally beaten. She's not. She is still as astute and as sharp as any of the men in this cabin and runs rings around some of them. You know, she is as just as vicious, just as dangerous, every bit as hateful as the other eight. You've got Walton Goggins, who, as Gav said before, is one of my favorite character actors. Um, I think he does a fantastic turn here as Chris Mannix. He is the sheriff in this. You know, by the end of the film, we have resolved that he was probably telling the truth and he wasn't who he said he was. Uh, Damien Bashir, who's not an actor I've seen a great deal of work from. I think he's done a lot of Spanish language films, but very good actor. Uh, really gets his teeth into this one. You can tell he's enjoying himself playing up to this sort of like what, what an old Western idea of, of a Mexican character would be. You know, he puts on this heavily accentuated accent, which of course Damien Bashir himself, despite being Mexican American, does not have. You've got Tim Roth, another Tarantino heavyweight who's been there since the early days of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, doing again quite an over the top turn as this gregarious kind of a affable character which makes you distrust him immediately of course other end of the spectrum you got michael madsen playing joe gage very quiet very subdued just kind of like this hulking bear of a man calls himself a cow puncher which is my new favorite word mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you, re- you really hate those cows do you? you really hate those cows uh and last but not least bruce dern who has probably the smallest role i would say out of the eight but gav's laughing because he knows how much i love bruce dern he is he gives a fantastic go on gav what are you gonna say i, I remember when this film was uh, was was scheduled to be released Dave and I were at a Frankie Valley concert and I was like have you heard about the new Quentin Tarantino film it's got Bruce Dern it's got Kate Russell Jennifer Jason Lee Michael Madsen blah 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 and I turned to Dave and he was just smiling he said 
you had me a Bruce Dern. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you laughed and said, said no one ever. Which I <laughs> but Bruce Dern, I think, even though he's got probably the smallest role and he's got the least lines for sure, uh, gives a, an incredible performance in here. You know, he's uh, he seems like, you know, this kind of meek old man just sitting there by the fire, keeping himself to himself. But when you start to learn a bit more about his character and you realize the evil that this man has done in his previous life, he's, there's a, a case to be made that he is the worst of the hateful eight for all the, for his past transgressions. And in his, in his key scenes with Samuel Jackson, the malevolence that is just growing behind his eyes, he doesn't need to say a thing, just grows and grows and grows in this very powerful emotional performance from Bruce Dern. Even though he doesn't get a lot of screen time, it's very well done. And Tarantino is the uh, actually allowed Bruce Dern to improvise a bit on set. And everyone said to him, why, why does Bruce Dern get to improvise his lines? He said, because I can't write the stuff he comes up with. He <laughs> said, the man's in character as soon as that camera is rolling. He said, just let him go. And of course, you've got a good supporting cast from uh, Channing Tatum, who makes a good cameo in the film. I do love Channing Tatum. He's, he's, to be honest with you, I really like Channing Tatum. I underestimated him when I first started hearing about him. I was like, oh, he's just a good looking actor. That's how he got, got to where he is. No, the man can actually act. Right, I'm developing quite a serious man crush on Channing Tatum at the moment. You get More than your Chris pa- uh, Pratt one. <laughs> Um, in, bo- in both cases, get in line. It's difficult. Sorry, I, d- I don't interrupt you. <laughs> I'll, I'll ponder on that. And then I already mentioned James Parks, who doesn't have a great deal to do as OB. He's also another Tarantino uh, regular, as was his father, the late Michael Parks. So I think it's just nice to see that family element coming back together again. As Samuel Jackson said to uh, Channing Tatum when he turned up on set, he gave him a big hug and said, welcome to the family. Meaning, of course, the Tarantino brood who do keep coming together and do keep working together every now and again. And the last thing I want to say, and I've touched on characters and score, is what this film is about. It, although it, it is influenced heavily by the thing, more so than any other movie, it is a Western. And it's Tarantino's love letter to Western. He is, some people call him the king of the homage. You know, he takes old styles of cinema or just stuff that he's passionate about, stuff that he likes. Whether it's popular or not, he doesn't care. He likes to make a film about it and make a nod to it. In terms of the violence, that's Peckinpah. That is definitely a Sam Peckinpah influence. That's why he's thinking of the Wild Bunch and he's channeling that spirit. Mm. You know, there's little things like the Stagecoach Company is the same Stagecoach Company name as you'll find in 310 to Yuma. And there's little things, you know, he he makes huge nods. The title itself is a nod to Magnificent Seven, one of his favorite films. And he nods to a number of uh, Sergio Leone westerns, spaghetti westerns, especially by having Ennio Morricone on board, who of course scored all those so brilliantly. Bruce Stern himself worked with uh, John Wayne back in the day, I believe, in the earlier westerns. And so bringing Bruce Stern on board was a great idea. And it's just everything about this film. There's, there's so many nods to classic westerns, which, as Tarantino says, is one of his favorite genres. You can tell this film was a labor of love wow wow okay thanks dave um joel would you like to come back at any of those points what annoys me a bit about dave is (laughs) 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 he he, he just sits there reeling off the trivia and i was looking at at him and he didn't even have notes in front of him he's just like yeah all all this shit happened and he's just not even reading from his page (laughs) i have prompts so the rest of it's up in my head mate (laughs) which seems a little bit unfair judge (laughs) sustained Uh, uh, some things that dave's touched on actually uh, are pretty much points that that i kind of brought up anyway like he does obviously like the old style of cinema and uh, dave's actual words uh, that he doesn't care and and that's exactly my point as well that it is all self-indulgent he picks exactly what he likes and he just goes with that he doesn't care you know like dave said about what anyone else thinks and, and that is literally his aim um 
And I also just want to pick up on the kind of uh, point that Dave made as well about the characters. He said they're all obviously bad characters, they're all hateful characters, you know, they're, they're not good people. So you're not really meant to care about them. But I, I kind of disagree, even if they are all bad characters, I do think you have to have at least some feeling towards them or there's no kind of payoff at the end. You, There's no kind of feeling there. You know, you don't care what happens in the movie. It would just be like watching, you know, a very kind of black and white, no emotion uh, kind of picture. And that's not really what, what Tarantino uh, is all about. I always think Tarantino is all about kind of the... Uh, set in the scene and then there's always some type of twist at the end um, and there's a lot of back and forth and heavy dialogue and you know without caring at least a little bit about the characters even if it's that you hate them and you want them all to die um, you know that, that there's just there's just nothing there to work with but in terms of the cast and the characters um, it's a film really of uneven performances and and it's full of strange decisions I thought Leif you know for instance she's terrific terrific as the uh, kind of like unhinged character daisy uh the stuff i loved about her you know she's always getting like smacked in the face or like smacked into the table and she just like gets back up and like laughs in the face and she just kind of it is is always kind of almost laughing at them even though she's pretty much being taken to her death which you know i just thought she was absolutely brilliant got nothing really bad to say about her at all Samuel L. Jackson, again, you know, he's one of those people who, who always surprises me because he makes so much shit. But then uh, every, every now and then he just makes, you know, a, a really a good one. Doesn't yeah. He? And, and he does a, a very good job here. But, you know, it's just as well because Jesus Christ, does he have a lot of fucking lines? And, you know, it, it's a, as I say, it's a good job that he does give a good performance because there's so much frigging dialogue in there. Um, as again as dave said there's there's tarantino veterans in there like michael madsen and tin roth both reservoir dogs alumni and both for me were were modestly disappointing the former was simply underwhelming as a quietly menacing rancher uh, and the latter overworks literally all his lines and he's just a bit too obvious for me in his intentions like i said that there just wasn't a point for me when i actually believed uh, he was who he said he was and the biggest issue for me is the underwritten characters. At a brisker pace, uh, the basic character types, they might have been more engaging. And as I said before, you know, the, the actual plot promise of the film is is actually quite interesting and clever. But because of the film's uh, kind of slow pace, uh, the, the break in the middle, it all just breaks it up and the tension just completely goes out the window. And Tarantino does little to make them more interesting or layered than they initially are. Even Walter Goggins, who is... He does a great job in the movie, but literally, Gav kind of stole my point before. He, he feels like a familiar Tarantino character that we've seen before in an earlier Tarantino movie. Um, and then even at the end, you know, Tarantino's own voice, it kind of feels like a joke about how predictable his movie dialogue has actually become at that point. I just think it, it you know, it's it's very uneven uh, that the pacing is a big issue and um, that's about it. <coughs> All right, thank you, Joel. Okay, uh, pretty different opinions there. It seemed like Joel was ready to say some of the performances were pretty good in there. You know, Samuel Jackson really did make the point that it was good that his performance was great because he had so much dialogue and so many lines to remember. Some surprisingly not as good, Tim Roth and um, Michael Madsen. But Dave saying the cast are great, like they're all absolutely awesome. Um, talked about the thing inspired the film and that's what's its heart at, that growing paranoia that's building between these characters keeps the tension going all the way through it. Um, and yeah, the, the performances were all fantastic. Uh, it seems like Jennifer Jason Lee did an amazing job. We both agree on that. Um, 
Kurt Russell was good. So uh, what did you think of the performances? Uh, so I think, uh, once again, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be much help here. I'm, I'm quite on the fence. What I are think, you here for, mate? Seriously. Uh, to bring the hilariousness that is <laughs> me. It's a shame you last watched this film three years ago. <laughs> but, oh, but you know what? He's, get, he's, he's getting it from all sides. I feel a bit bad for him. I, I don't even know whose side I want to be on here. <laughs> right, the film was equally shit and great. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was very, very well acted on the whole. A tremendous cast, as Dave said. You know me, I absolutely love the thing. I thought I was going to hate the fact that it was like, uh, you know, essentially the thing again. Um, but I actually really liked it because it was done in such a loving way. It was like an homage to it. As Dave said, there was bits of dialogue that were taken from the thing and also bits of unused scores. The setting, Kent Russell, Ennio Morricone, there's so many elements of it are, are just scream the thing, basically. And I really liked that because it was like a love letter to it. Um, Kent Russell, brilliant in it absolutely brilliant but i felt like there could have been a lot more i was just gutted when he when he left he was like the first to go essentially and um i just wanted a bit more but then again if there's a film that doesn't make every single second of screen time um the uh, kate russell the focus then it's just a complete waste so i can't hold it against it um one of the things that like dave um, and both joel and dave touched upon it i I felt it was a bit misogynistic right a bit right and i know that um tarantino has had this before but i feel like jennifer jason lee was tremendous in the film she was absolutely brilliant well deserving of an oscar non um i i think that actually she should have maybe got it that year um i can't think who she was up against but i think she was very very worthy of it but my my like kind of uh, the, 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 reason, the reason i'm saying that i felt it was too misogynistic is because she felt like a punching bag like literally and, and metaphorically throughout the entire film and it was in some cases used to like a comic effect like they would just punch her for sort of like oh you know shut up and it, I felt like she was going to get some sort of payoff. You know, she was eventually going to, you know, kind of kill one of them or she was eventually going to have like a big, big payoff. But um, it, it didn't, it, it just kind of felt, you know, then she was she was killed in a really kind of graphic way. It seemed a bit kind of fetishized. Um, yeah, it, it, I just felt like they could have done more with it. Um, Bruce Dern, brilliant. Dave said, rest of the cast, brilliant. The only other thing that annoyed me, and Dave mentioned it before is uh, um, what was his name uh, Damien Bechet. Um what? yeah just uh, the, the over elaborate Mexican accent it felt a bit like oh come on you know what I mean the guy is you know he's, he's, he's Mexican or he's from South America you know just let him talk in his normal accent don't make him do this over the top caricature of a Mexican wasn't it, sorry I was confused I thought he was pretending to be Mexican in the film he is legitimately the he's Marco the Mexican is his real name in the ah, film okay. he's I playing he's pretending to be Bob the Mexican yes in this. but Damien Bashir is in fact Mexican American he just exaggerated the accent yeah, yeah, yeah. to the nth degree on this one and Channing Tatum I'm sorry am I the only one that think that he was a bit miscast it just like I know it's your house but <laughs> hey no don't get me wrong I absolutely I really really like Channing Tatum I've got the same opinion as you guys I think he's come on leaps and bounds over the past few years especially as well but I did read somewhere that, uh, that originally the part was going to be going to Viggo Mortensen thank god uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and he, he, he but he couldn't learn uh, French in the end um, what we no, it was conflicting schedules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and yeah, so it went to Chan Tatum. And I really like Chan Tatum. I just, I just think that it could have, I don't know, I don't think he had the gravitas for the performance. 
Interesting. Just before I come on to you, Ozzy, I think Dave, so we had from Gav there that he loves Kurt, yeah, Kurt Russell. I, d- I don't and... often rebut the character witness, but uh, <laughs> I just wanted to mention, yeah, Kurt, I agree with everything you said about Kurt Russell, absolutely. <laughs> there was one thing I actually thought Joel would bring it up, that's why I prepared for it, um, the element of misogyny, yeah. which people say there is. I, I don't think so. I just want to say I, quickly while I can, I don't think that this film is necessarily misogynistic. Um, Kurt Russell says... <laughs> listen up Gav listen up okay. Kurt Russell said when he was talking about how John Ruth sees Daisy he says forget misogyny he could murder her he says she has no rights because she, he is, she is his bounty he is the bounty hunter if you don't treat that woman the same who is every bit of deserve, deserving of what she gets as a male prisoner would be are you sexist I think Kurt Russell was rambling a bit here but he said you know essentially what he's saying is do you not think that women are equal to men was the end of his quote and what he's saying is is that she's a bounty to him. She's not a woman. He's not mistreating her that way because she is a woman. Her gender is out of the equation altogether. And I think this this part could have been written as a man, you know, with uh, Jodie Channing Tatum's character swooping in to save any younger sibling, could have been a younger brother. The fact that she's a woman doesn't really come into it. And the fact that she's hit, she's not hit because she's a woman. It's because she is the bounty. He is the bounty hunter. He can do whatever he wants with her on the way to the on the way to the hangman's noose, and and does. And it's not because you're not meant to be enjoying it. That's what put you puts you off John Ruth because it's Kurt Russell. Everyone likes Kurt Russell. It's a, it seems like quite a decent character in certain ways. That's what's meant to turn you against Kurt Russell and what makes him one of the hateful eight, one of these characters you're meant to despise. Um, Tarantino himself said, you know, violence is hanging over every one of these characters like a cloak of night. So I'm not going to go, okay, that's the case for seven of them, but not for this one because she's a woman. Uh, I'm not going to have to treat her differently. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree that, you know, she's treated equally, but then again, I, I disagree because I think that she gets a lot more violence directed to her than anybody else. And I can see that that's uh, the character that's getting it, not the fact that it's it's a it's a woman. It just seems because she's the only kind of prominent woman in the entire film. I mean, there's a couple of other female characters, but you know, uh, what, well. yeah, yeah uh, but um, so um, it, and and the fact that it just felt like to me there was going to be some sort of payoff. Like you know, what she's going to break free, she's going to kill Kate Russell, she's going to get her own back. But the fact is, is that that doesn't happen. And then her death at the end is kind of like the one that's like it 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 goes on for a while. It's very sort of excessive and very sort of visceral as well and you're like oh you know oh god you think she's going to escape she's going to do something and, and it just doesn't happen and i think that final act there with with her death is what is meant to finally turn you off to chris mannix and um marquis yeah. yeah because at this point it's like they've been the heroes for the final stage of the film and this is what made makes you finally think you know what i wasn't in their corner after all yeah. because while they, they, they remember the tim roth's quote when he's talking about when he's the hangman and he talks about how you know the hangman has to be impartial and uh, it's much like the judge. Sorry, yeah, sorry, there was some nodding going on. Um, when the, yeah, the hangman has to be impartial, and that comes back to you when you're looking at the final scene. These two men are not impartial when they hang Daisy. You know, they are doing it yeah, partly yeah. for their own amusement, partly, you know, for some sort of vengeance. And it, when he's reading the Lincoln letter to himself as they lay there dying, the camera zooms out and it's her feet yeah, at the front of the, at the, front with of the Kurt shot. With Russell's arm. Yeah, and it's just kind of a... You know what? Yeah. It wasn't impartial at all. Okay, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from there. I know I'm a judge, so I won't say anything. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I will say that Sam Samuel Jackson and Walton Goggins were very, very, very good in this. Because uh, I, I needed to say that because I felt a bit bad on Walton Goggins last week, <laughs> slacking him off for Tomb Raider, but that wasn't his fault. Okay, 
All right, cool. Ozzy, what would you say to the great cast uh, in this film? Yeah, I actually agree with, like, agree with Gav about the Channing Tatum bit. I remember thinking right, he wasn't nearly as believable as, as the other guys. I, I agree with Joel that um, uh, Samuel L does have a lot of talking. Like he does in you know, all of the films he's in with Quentin, from Quentin Tarantino. But, um, and there were a bit where it's, it does put you off a little bit. But um, I thought I thought as a char- I thought overall the characters were all deplorable, equally. So I I didn't want the you know you you don't like Joel and Bo- and, and Dave said you know you don't care for them or you don't care about them, but you do you are interested to see what do, happens yeah, to them. Yeah, and I, thought, I thought that was so I was you, invested. Yeah, so so Joel, Joel was saying if you don't have a good character in there somewhere, it's like you don't give a shit. But yeah, you were still you still cared about the characters n- even yeah, though you I did, hated yeah. them. And I, I I I agree with Dave about the whole. Um, it felt like everybody had their place. There was a re- real reason for everyone. And it felt like they were sort of dealt with in turn. You know, it, it really did lead you along. I think Joel mentioned it in the very, very first argument. It was, um, it was like a Miss, what did you say, like a Miss Marple type story or something? Agatha like, Christie. Agatha Christie novel, you know, where... So you'd say it was, you led, it was like a mystery. You're led along, you know, each, yeah, I think so, yeah, because you don't really know what's going on. The tension builds, just like in the thing, it's building, you're not sure who's bad, who's good, who's what. Yeah, what do you think? Okay, cool. Char- the characters were believable for me, and 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 the performances were good as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I th- but I think it works really well with the way it's shot. So the cinematography lends itself to the performances, and vice versa. Okay, cool. Right, thanks. I, I just but towards the end of us having that conversation, I realised you still wearing a dog on your head, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and it just made it really hard to I'm take. Just it. trying to keep it, <laughs> you know, yeah, want to too serious. Keep it grounded. <laughs> okay, cool. Are we ready for some closing arguments, guys? Yep. Yep. Uh, Joel, I'm going to ask you to go first if you don't mind. So, ready? Uh, ready? Go. I struggle, to be honest, to see what the fuss with Tarantino is all about. He's just completely hit and miss. He uses the exact same tricks in all of his films. He uses the same shocks, the same language, overuse of the N-word. And he knows himself deep down that he overwrote the living daylights out of this film. And the the things that describe a Tarantino movie, the N-word, too overindulgent and too fucking long. Okay, I feel like that was written. That should should have been... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so dave you ready uh yeah i'm just gonna get myself a timer up so i know what i'm doing oh yeah okay right ready steady go this film is not overwritten it is brilliantly written the dialogue is very good at what it is this is a long film there is no denying it but when it the characters are this interesting when it's this beautifully shot when the plot is this interesting and when it's scripted so well you really don't mind the length of the whole film altogether tarantino can be overindulgent we know he can but i i, may, I stand by my point that every director has to have a level of self-indulgence otherwise they're not going to be able to carry out their job this film was a love letter to the thing one of his favorite films a love letter to westerns in general and i think he really plays a a very subtle homage to some things and plays a very unsubtle homage to others but both of them work and you can feel the man's passion for the project and you know people say oh he's just out for himself tarantino's just doing it because tarantino wants to do it at the end of the day people are coming to see it and people are enjoying his work i don't see why he shouldn't carry on doing what he's doing Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, strong stuff. Lovely, lovely closing arguments. Okay. Uh, Chrissy, do you need some time to think about it? I do need a little time to think about it. Are you sure? 
Yes. Uh, well, should we do a quiz? <laughs> <laughs> uh, set me up there, didn't oh, you? Oh, man, man. Sorry, I just worked the cat up as well. <laughs> oh. Sorry, mate. Uh, okay, right. So, so um, Tarantino can be a bit difficult to work with. Um, so this quiz essentially is all about people that Tarantino actually really likes or has taken inspiration from or really dislikes as another uh, director. Um, in a quiz I have called Hateful or Grateful. <laughs> Jesus. That, that's one that of the best titles you've ever yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually got a song here as well. Um, eight films released. I hate you. <laughs> eight films released. <laughs> like that. It started yeah, so well and you just killed, right. killed it. <laughs> okay, right. So number one, John Ford. Hateful or Grateful? Uh, hateful. I'm going to say hateful. He loves westerns, but he didn't really like. I don't. Yeah, I'm going to say hateful. I go grateful. I'm going to say grateful. Uh, Dave and Bruce are on the money. Hateful. He doesn't like Ford's depictions of Native Americans in films. Oh. <laughs> so uh, Tarantino questioning somebody else's intentional or unintentional uh, depiction of a race in films is the exact definition of the pot calling the kettle black. I think I've got it. <laughs> uh, anyway, so number Can two. Can you that siren again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Play it for yourself. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Number two is um, Clint Eastwood. Hateful or grateful? Um, sadly, hateful. I think he's once said that The Good and Bad and the Ugly is, is his favourite film of all time, so I'm going to say grateful. Yeah, grateful. I'm sure I read that. This is as a director, I might add. Oh, as a director, oh, possibly hateful. <laughs> no, I think you'll say grateful. I'll go grateful. Well. I'm sure I remember reading it. Okay, this um, morning, Joel, well done, man. <laughs> <laughs> grateful. He said he is a role model to all directors. Wow. Are you looking up the answers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm doing my best to try and win one. <laughs> okay, number three, Spike Lee. Uh, grateful. Hateful, I'm sure they've had some crosswords in the past. Hateful. I'm going to go hateful as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Bruce. Uh, very, very, very hateful. They both hate each other. Quinn uh, uh, Tarantino said he will never work with him again and he's contemptible. When did um, he work with him? Uh, I, I, well, maybe, maybe not again. Maybe just never work with never him. Never work with him, <laughs> full stop. Never work with him, full stop. <laughs> um, uh, Lee says that Tarantino is guilty of black exploitation and um, <laughs> constant overuse of the N-word. So, okay. Um, Doesn't sound like Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> and Tarantino says a load of stuff about Spike Lee as well. Okay, number four. This will be interesting for you, Bruce. Uh, Christopher Nolan, hateful or grateful? Oh, <laughs> two of them together. Fuck. Yeah, um, incredibly bleak. Grateful. Put them together. Hateful. <sighs> grateful. Grateful. Are you enjoying this, Chris Joel? <laughs> Uh, now it is grateful he calls him a visionary and he is he says he's like a classic filmmaker who could be just as good as if he was working in the 70s or 60s or 80s Um, so I can just imagine compliment (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I can imagine that just being Bruce's idea of the worst dinner party (laughs) okay number five David O. Russell hateful or grateful Mm, they're not going to get on hateful 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 Oh God! You're all wrong. Grateful? Shit! Oh, wow. Seriously? Yeah. He Do says they... he says he's very very talented, and he says he's an actor's best director, and he thinks that films like The Fighter and American Hustle will still be talked about in thirty years time. Uh, have you seen that video of David O. Russell screaming his tits off on set? 
No. Yeah, no, check it out because he doesn't look like he's looking after his actors there. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, number six, Oliver Stone, hateful or grateful? Uh, I hope hateful. I, I'm going to say hateful. Hateful. <laughs> Fucking hell, Joel. Mm. Turn up the dial a little bit, what do you mean? Grateful. Grateful. Um, no, sorry, Aziz, hateful. Uh, they cla- say again, grateful. <laughs> <laughs> they clashed because Stone drastically changed Tarantino's script for Natural Born Killers. Oh. Uh, Tarantino avoided watching it in full for many years, and after he, after he watched it, he said he absolutely hated it, especially, and here's something that I can't remember, the comedy segment with Rodney Dangerfield in. Can anybody remember that? Do not remember that at all. Do you think Oliver Stone wound him up and showed him like... <laughs> <laughs> totally different. <laughs> completely different. I hope so. Uh, yeah, he just showed him the ladybird. So I was like, what do you think about this? <laughs> back to school. <laughs> I gotta get back to school. <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> it's worth my picking it basket. <laughs> number, number seven is Danny Boyle. Uh, grateful, grateful, hateful. Danny Boyle, grateful. Yeah, he is grateful. Uh, he says uh, UK films were dominated by Merchant's Ivory Guff before Boyle came along and re- um, revolutionised UK cinema. And um, he loves train spotting and thinks it's very exciting. And the, the last one on the list here is David Lynch. Hateful or grateful? Oh, hateful. Come on. Uh, hateful. Hateful. Grateful. Okay, so this is a bit of a trick one. So originally it was Grateful. Um, he was once one of his biggest inspirations, but later became hateful as he stated that he disappeared so far up his own arse. I have no <laughs> desire to see another David Lynch movie until I hear oh, something Jesus. different from him. Sat in his ivory tower. <laughs> no, no, pot kettle black. Anyway, I'm ready to judge. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> he just wound him up right for, <laughs> right for the judgment. <laughs> right, okay. Um... So, uh, you know, I, I, I saw this film recently and uh, to be honest, you know, I've, I've made no secret when we did Pulp Fiction that I absolutely hate Quentin Tarantino and I'd really low expectations. But when I went in, there were things that I really liked about this film and I think Dave hit the nail on the head with quite a few of them. That There is a really good cast. Uh, they are really amazing performances in it as well. Um, there's, the score's fantastic. The cinematography... I thought Joel raised a really interesting point when he said, why the fuck is there such good cinematography when it's actually only the opening shots, really? And I thought that was a really good point. But there is really good cinematography in that and better to have good cinematography in it than not. And there is some really interesting dialogue as well. Um, You know, I think Gav also made an interesting point in his character witness, though, when he was saying about, like... um, You know, we were talking about the gimmicks and the, the homages that Tarantino uses... And that actually, um, they're in this film, but they're not new, you know? I think Joel said this. It's kind of predictable. You see it coming. So the the dialogue and the over-dialogue, that's the Tarantino hallmark that, that you can see. Are you want to use that fucking Sarah? Are you going to do that Sarah? No, I'm, not, I'm literally <laughs> waiting for you to finish. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the use of chapters and the overuse of violence. You know, I, th- these aren't surprising things in the Quentin Tarantino film. And I think when we're talking about it, you know, we're saying about this is a film that's, what, 168 minutes long. Um, You know, Joel had a good point when he says you need some good characters in there. You know, you need some sort of, like, difference, not just hateful people. And you can't sustain attention for this long. You know, the thing's a great film, but the thing's quite a short film, so this growing paranoia doesn't last all the way through it. And 
uh, you know, a lot of the things points in favor of the film was about homage and love letters. And to be honest, like I've had, it, I kind of had it with homages and love letters. <laughs> I, I'd rather like someone just made a really good Western film, right? Don't make homage to a great Western film. Just make a really good Western film. You know, it doesn't need to be meta for me. Just make a really good film. And and I think there's a really good film in Hateful Eight, and I genuinely do. I think there's some fantastic performances, great score, and great cinematography but joel has convinced me that tarantino is still just fucking about no he did you know he, he you know it is overindulgent it isn't adding much he's just going on and on and on and on and on and he's just saying i'm quentin tarantino i'm in this movie so i'm sorry it is a, there is a good film in there but the editing made it shit so it's going on the shit list sorry dave <laughs> <laughs> Boo! What the fuck? It's gone on the shit list. That's the oh, sound sorry. effect that it goes on the shit list. <laughs> but what I meant to do is <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, it wasn't easy to judge this film dispassionately. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But like they, uh, Joel's right. You know, it's uh, it's too gimmicky. It's too Quentin Tarantino up his own asshole. And he should have just made a good western film with the paranoia. Would have been really interesting. Honestly, I, I think there was a great film in there. The, the editing. He just he just fucking couldn't. He couldn't help dicking about with it sorry dave <laughs> <laughs> anyway um sorry sorry dave um so uh, the grateful hateful hateful eight is uh is, <laughs> couldn't, remember, couldn't remember the title there for a minute uh, it's, it's onto the shit list uh right genuine opinions dave genuine opinion man how do you feel it's not tarantino's best film but it's my favorite can you look Ooh. at me dave i really believe <laughs> this is my favorite tarantino film i thought it was fantastic wow man very very strong opinion there joel uh are we keeping you are we keeping you away to ask you halfway through dave's uh, argument if you were right i think it's not a great film and it's not a shit film it's probably somewhere in the middle i think it is far too long you could strip an hour away and it would be a much friggin better film I totally agree with pretty much most of what I said. I think you can't hold tension for two and a bit hours and it still be on the edge of your seat thinking what's going to happen here. It just doesn't doesn't work like that for me. Mm. Um, and yeah, like the overuse of like the M words, like pretty much exactly what I said. When you've seen, if this was your first Quentin Tarantino film, you might be like, whoa, that was amazing. But when you've seen everything else, like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Django, when you've seen all them, it's the same thing, just with a different kind of wrapping on. Okay, right, well, thank you very much. Um, so, let, before we wrap things up here, higher or lower than Death of Stalin out of 10 on IMDb score? What was Death of Stalin? Um, 7.2. Yeah, I'm going to say higher. Lower. I'm going to go for about 8. I, I think higher. I think higher. I think 8.6. 6.4. <laughs> shit man don't make me get that siren back on me uh, now uh, yeah uh, most of you are right it is higher 7.8 out right. of 10 um, and okay so before we close things off here uh, I uh, once again have submitted a snapshot of the film to our Twitter page and I've asked our friends and followers to provide a caption um, so this uh, caption is um, where I just ooh, sugar butties tried to show people what the caption was and dropped the phone on the cat. Um, it's Kate Russell um, singing over um, Jennifer Jason Lee, who's also singing while Bruce Dern is holding his 
hands to his ears. So we've got a number I, of captions I think here. They're, they're shouting, close the door. They're not singing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, close, close the, the door. Hold the door. You really should have watched this in the last couple of years, Cap. Jesus, sorry. <laughs> I, I thought to, I, 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 to, Dave hates us all now. No, to, to, to be honest, what I wanted I've to. I've poisoned the fans. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what I typed in is because um, uh, I, I was remembering like a, a memorable scene from it. And I've tried to get the scene where he smashes the guitar and it came up for that. And I assumed that that was, that was just after it or just before it. So yeah. Uh, so well done, Dave. Yeah. It was the scene where they shout, close the door. Ozzy, edit this later on, would you please? Ozzy, can you edit De- out the Defo. verdict while we're there as well? <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Okay. So we've only had one caption submitted this week. I was, I was going to submit one, but for a better of it, to be honest. Go on, Joel. You've got, you've got to say it. Go on, what are you going to submit? I was going to submit. Get a uh, And I jizzed in my pants. Get a <laughs> uh, Right, so the only other one that we've got is uh, this is the worst rendition of Wonderwall I've ever heard. Yeah, well. <laughs> I'll give it a, I'll Okay, give it. right, so this was Rad's podcast. Uh, you guys have just won yourself a Freddo. Okay, right, anyway. Um, so while this show has been going on, we have drawn our next film out of the hat and it's going to be the tree of life oh yes so we've also pulled the rolls out at random in defense of the tree of life it's going to be alex uh, in prosecution it's going to be captain dave be gentle <laughs> in the role of judge is going to be my good self and in the role of um character witnesses are going to be joel and ozzy um so Without further hesitation, I just want to say thank you very much to everybody who's listened to this episode and all of our previous episodes. You can catch all of our content on our iTunes page, Films on Trial, or our website, filmsontrial.co.uk. Why not follow us on Twitter, at Film Trials, and submit a film for us to put in the hat, and we will eventually review it. Um, Also, check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, and on YouTube, Films on Trial. So, without further hesitation, it's been a bad week for the Hateful Eight, but... um, Tarantino lives on, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want him dead, Gav. <laughs> I don't that's, like his that's work. What sounded, but... That's what it sounded like for like an hour of this show. But anyway, uh, we'll see you next week when we'll be in your ears with Tree of Life. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>